0: Tonight's reading is from Genesis, chapter 35, verses 1 through 15. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, that I may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around about them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died there, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth, or the Oak of Weeping. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So his name was called Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall spring from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. The word of the Lord.
1: So, Lenny Bruce is this uh, Jewish stand up comedian from the 50s, and he had this comedy routine where he would list off what was Jewish and what was Goyish. A Goy, of course, is the somewhat derogatory Yiddish word for Gentile. <clears throat> for example, Kool Aid is Goyish, Pumpernickel bread is Jewish, <laughs> all Italians are Jewish. Greeks are very goyish, reading is Jewish, deer hunting is goyish, Batman is goyish, Superman is Jewish, (laughs) New York City is Jewish, and underpants are very goyish. I myself, as you may well assume by my countenance and bearing, am a goy. Or, actually, I am mostly a goy. I am, as rumor has it, a 32nd part Jewish. My sister once asked an aunt about this rumor. Is it true that the Lewises have Jewish heritage? My aunt, who is stuck somewhere on the other side of the 20th century, answered, Oh, you don't have to worry about that. Well, I do worry about it, but I worry about it in the other direction. You see... I wish I was more Jewish. But perhaps that 30-second part is enough. Once upon a time in Manhattan, right outside of Madison Square Gardens, three young Hasidic teenagers dressed in in three-piece suits and with side locks and hats all came up to me in the midst of the crowd and asked me enthusiastically if I was going to Temple and did I know where it was. They were very disappointed I was not going and did not know. And they said, as if to hurt my feelings, We thought you were Jewish. (laughs) Also, once upon a time in the city of Haifa, in Israel, an elderly woman sitting in front of me on an empty bus turned and smiling, pinched my cheek, and spoke in a kind of Hebrew baby talk. I asked the bus driver what she was saying. He said, King David had red hair. She thinks you look like King David. <laughs> so I've got down some kind of physical resemblance to Jewry. Uh, plus what's more is that I hold an abiding interest in the mystical Jewish tradition of the Kabbalah and count as heroes a great many Jewish authors. Isaac by Chevy Singer, Kafka, Saul Bellow, Simone Weil, Jorge Luis Borges, Jacques Derrida, John Berryman, and so on, not to mention Bob Dylan. "'But who am I kidding? I'm three-quarters Swede, "'the other quarter of which is a Western European melting pot "'of Ulster Scot, British, Dutch, and with a little Cherokee for flavor. "'And I believe in the Gospel. I'm on the side of the Palestinians. "'I eat bacon and denigrate the Shabbat Shalom in any number of terrific ways. "'And just like Goliath in the Old Testament, "'I am, as they say, an uncircumcised dog.'" No matter how many Jewish books I read, I will always be just a goy. But what is it about Jewishness that so captivates? Well, the devotion to the Torah is one reason, which amounts to an elevation of the written word itself. Some theorists claim that literary theory as we know it, and the very institution of literature, is itself a Jewish invention. In other words, a secular midrash. The idea of the Midrash, too, informed two major Jewish architects of 20th century thought, Marx and Freud, both in search of a truth that is hidden and buried within the literal. A subtly ironic and melancholic worldview is also a very Jewish mode that I try pretty hard at impersonating. It's the kind of sentiment that is basically summed up in the book of Job and in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Also, I like to wear around my wrist a bracelet with the initials H-W-W-W-A-I-T-S which stands for, how would Woody Allen interpret this situation? (laughs) But perhaps at heart I am envious of the very exclusivity of Jewishness. Not many other cultures are so fiercely closed off so one in themselves. The Swedish immigrants may have had their closed Baptist identity at one point that protected them from outside influence, but this is no longer the case in the American scene. This, then, may be the real and final definition of a goy. Not only does it mean not Jewish, but it also means not in and of itself. It means someone whose identity is so wishy-washy and blown about by any wind of culture that he holds to no strong culture. A goy is someone who possesses no central unifying text. So, us bumbling goys fumble about in the reappropriated and translated Old Testament and get to spy on Jacob while he goes to Bethel the original holy Bethel in Canaan where he builds an altar, has is renamed Israel, and is promised by God a long and countless lineage of his own people. This is the very beginning of the Jewish exclusion. Jacob demands that he alone is blessed and his children after him. This, The nation of Israel has been instituted by a willful and cunning self-promotion, and Jacob's brother Esau... Robbed of his birthright is the first goy. The site of Bethel here is important, a sacred zone. This is where Jacob dreamed of the ladder to heaven. Twelve years ago, I was in Israel, and I went to the alleged location of Bethel just north of Jerusalem. It was a parking lot for tourist buses. And And that was surrounded by the third world cement tenements of a Palestinian village. Across the valley, the Jews had planted a kibbutz to mirror and intimidate the Palestinians with dwell-magazine-style shoebox houses and better assault rifles. As the veil of mists fell out of the sky and made everything there in the hill country wet, I stood in the parking lot and tried in my funny American way to sense some kind of sacred element. I mean wasn't there supposed to be some kind of lingering holiness or like a kind of thin place between us and glory, right? I mean, shouldn't I have been able to see some kind of ladder? There were no ladders whatsoever. All the magic was political magic, plus the loftier layer of the anthropological self-awareness as if the site was important because there was a parking lot and there was a parking lot because the site was important. Curious that in order to designate the holy in Israel, they need to pave over it. The, the irony gets another turn of the screw when I confess that the college I graduated from is named Bethel University here in St. Paul. Now, I apologize to those of you who have graduated from Bethel or, or are going there now or who work there but I am not overly fond of the school as an institution. I mean, couldn't we define Bethel as being a school of supreme goyishness? Isn't Bethel and, I should say, evangelical culture in general a kind of factory for goys, turning out weak culture like the evil smoke from coal power plants? These are cruel words, but I speak in generalizations. I myself come from Bethel, and I know and respect many Bethel professors and a great many alumni, but it seems to me that they are ones who are aware of the dangers of evangelical culture and are opposed to it and are working hard to redeem it. Likewise, it should be obvious to you that House of Mercy is a church that was instituted in direct opposition to the insipid evangelical stink. As Lenny Bruce would say, House of Mercy is Jewish. (laughs) Country music is your holy book, your Torah. (laughs) And Luke the Drifter is your secular Messiah. (laughs) Where evangelical Christianity begins to smell, where it makes my teeth hurt, is when it assumes as self evident that the smug and sanctimonious culture it is generating is natural and original, and yet also sacred and holy. This, of course, could be said of most religious culture. However, what makes it so much worse is that the entire evangelical culture has been constructed in order to deny irony. The evangelical church exists in a fantasy land of pure kitsch, where everyone is kind and nice, just like Jesus, The Bible is perfect and means only one thing. Truth is fixed and death does not exist. And it is not as if it lacks a central text, but rather that it ignores it. The embodiment of this is the evangelical tourist visiting the Holy Land feeling spiritually renewed by the holy shrines, but denying the existence of Palestinians. But Isn't this what every culture does in the end? Doesn't every culture deny what threatens it? Doesn't every culture require a goy? Don't all cultures make the truth static? In the end, culture is a cult. And, to put it bluntly, House of Mercy is just as cult-like as any culture, but with smarter pastors and better music. It is a relief, then, when Paul talks of the identity of Christ. For there is therefore no longer any Greek nor Jew, free nor slave, male nor female. One may as well say, there is therefore no longer any Bethel nor house of mercy. The identity of Christ is not a cultural identity. The identity of Christ is not embodied in the WWJD bracelet. When one asks oneself what would Jesus do, attempting to remember what one knows of Christ from the Gospels, one goes so far as to conjure a false Christ, a clown Christ. This is idolatry. For the Christ that we believe in does not live in the Bible. The Bible is as good as a tomb, and the Christ that you and I believe in has risen from that tomb and is living now at the right hand of God, and somehow is living in our hearts.